for listening to Sean of the South Radio Show. We're coming to you live. And you can hear behind me right now. It's Trisha Spencer and her husband, Howard Rankins. Tennessee. 
My granddaddy, Red, would have been 106 on July 21st. He died in 1980, a few months before I was born. But here's a story I thought you'd like. In the 1970s, phone numbers were still only four digits long, and at that time, we had no need for air codes or prefixes, especially not in Alabama. His number was 4412. And during that time, since it was only four digits, the Druid City Hospital was 4421, which resulted in an inordinate amount of misdials from individuals looking to speak to loved ones who were in the hospital. Most often these calls came during normal hours. My grandfather was kind and cordial to the caller. And one evening, after he and Grandmama had retired for the night, he received several calls from the same individual looking to speak to a relative who's in the hospital. After twice being friendly and nice, I suppose he got upset. Work starts pretty early at Perry's Pride Creamery, where he worked. And when the caller misdialed the third time and asked for the same loved one, He kindly informed them, I'm so sorry to tell you, but they just passed. (laughs) Problem solved. All the best. Will Short. Roger from Fairhope, Alabama. Dear Sean, reading your stories has made me more observant and more kind, I think. I just wanted to tell you that I stopped at my local Publix to pick up a few things for supper. Among the items that I had placed in my handbasket were two cans of Campbell's chicken soup. And my daughter calls this princess soup because of the characters that adorn the paper label. One of these cans sported an image of Rey, the protagonist from the most recent movie, Star Wars, in case you're not familiar. And as I was checking out the cash register, the cashier was a lady named Donna, and she picked up the Star Wars can, and after she'd scanned it, she looked at it for a second, and she put it in her bag, and she smiled, and she quietly said, Star Wars. And then... She went on to tell me that her husband had asked her out on their first date many years ago when he'd taken her to see Return of the Jedi at the theater, and she fell asleep at the movie. Donna told me she was worried that he would never ask her out again after that, but she was wrong. He did. They ended up getting married in one year when her husband had the flu. She bought him the original trilogy box set, and she watched them with him nonstop the entire time while he was sick. Still, though, she could never quite get into the movie Star Wars, no matter how many times she tried. They were married for 33 years. He would have been 68 this year. Would have. I don't know whether Donna listens to your show or not, or reads your stories, or even knows who in the hay you are, but I just thought that I'd tell you that wonderful story that I heard from a beautiful woman, all from one can of Campbell's Soup. Dick Springwell, Boys, Idaho. My mother was a Pentecostal. My father was a Baptist. She converted him, though, to being a Pentecostal for many, many years. And they spoke in tongues all the time, before supper, before bed. And my dad would even pray in tongues at my Little League baseball games. Let me tell you, that was embarrassing. We were a very strange family, and I just learned to accept that. Many years later, my father fell out with the Pentecostal church. And so we all went back to being straight-up Baptist again. My mother and my father never spoke in tongues another day in their life. I did ask my dad about it. I asked him once whether or not he actually believed in speaking in tongues. And he said, son, I don't know what I think about it anymore, but I will say that speaking in tongues comes in really useful when I'm really angry and I'm not allowed to say any cuss words. 
Sue Cronkite, Apalachicola, Florida. I loved Minnie Pearl, and I actually interviewed her for a story in the Florida Times Union where I worked as a reporter a million years ago. She was in Jacksonville, Florida, promoting the chicken franchise, kind of a Kentucky Fried Chicken deal. She called my home to invite me to a party, much to my surprise. My children, who paid no attention to people I normally wrote about, were blown away with excitement. They showed my work, finally, some respect. And every time after that, they called out, Howdy! Just thought you might like that story. Dear Sue, I love that story, and I'm just proud to be here. Cynthia Curie, Fort Myers, Florida. My husband's an ex-Marine, and he's an all-around tough guy who never even shows the slightest hints of emotion, no matter how grave the situation. Years ago, my daughter had twin girls, and my son had a girl too, and then another girl the next year. Suddenly, we went from being a two-girl family to a six-girl family. My husband was all of a sudden watching Disney movies and braiding hair and kissing boo-boos on knees of girls who just cry too much. But it was cute to watch, and we all saw a transformation take place in him. And just last night, I came home from church to see him sitting in our living room with makeup all over his face and his hair done in pigtails. Sean, I think it's safe to say my husband is finally embracing his feminine side now. Dear Cynthia, I would say he's doing a little more than embracing his feminine side. I would venture to say he has, he has totally abandoned the Marine. Sean Brown, Birmingham, England. Hi, Sean. I was Googling myself a few days ago when I typed in my name and the city, Birmingham, which is where I live in England on the West Plains region. The first thing that came up was your name and the city of Birmingham, Alabama. I'm not sure how you're related to this city, but I started reading your work and I started listening to your show and I finally said to myself, I need to message this bloke. So this is your other half across the pond saying hello to you and keep doing what you're doing for the small race of Sean's in this world. Cheers, mate. Dear Sean, nobody has ever called me a bloke before or a mate, but I have been called much, much worse from folks such as the Pentecostal man who was shouting at me in tongues not long ago. <laughs> Dean Bilheimer, Tucson, Arizona. Sean, my mother told me to message you. She's 94 years old. She listens to your show every single week. I asked her what she wanted me to say to you, and she said, how should I know I'm 94 years old? <laughs> I can't remember anything, she said. You figure it out. So I'm doing what my mother told me. I'm messaging you, I guess, just to say hello from my mother, who will be 95 in September. Her name is Hilda. Dear Dean and Miss Hilda, happy birthday from everybody here tonight. 95, I think you take the award for the oldest person who's ever written into our show. <laughs> Meredith McGowan, Opelika, Alabama. Hi, Sean. My mom and I met you in Opelika after a cancer survivor dinner and you told stories and you were so nice to us anyway I thought about telling you about my pretty amazing husband for a while and after I've been listening to your show and you said to write sometime I decided I would do it he grew up the oldest son of a pastor which is pretty hard when you're a fun seeking little hellion 
He lived under the microscope of a congregation that could be rough sometimes. Oh yes, he has lots of stories. Over the years of getting into trouble, he developed a self-worth issue, a pretty, pretty significant one. And he just kind of gave up on himself altogether. And when I met him, he had just gone through a pretty sad breakup and he was newly divorced. And so we were a sad little pair. But Sean, I saw the most gentle man that would do anything for me. And over time, I convinced him to finish his degree at school. And it was a place that he could shine. Anyway, he kind of fell into teaching this, this inclusion class. Just imagine a class split half regular education folks, half special education folks. And he embraced that role and he realized that this was his heart. And he graduated into teaching special needs kids. 17 years later, he has made a difference in this world. I wish you could see the impact he's had on these special needs kids and the caregivers in this rural area. He's truly found his calling. And we joke and say it's all because of the way he grew up underneath the microscope of a congregation. Anyway... I wanted you to know that there are still great teachers out there in our world making a huge impact. And I'm fortunate enough to love one and live with one. Dear Meredith McGowan from Okapalaka, Alabama, thank you for that letter. And to your husband from everybody here tonight, thank you for making a difference in people's lives and for carrying a torch of education. And that's letters from our listeners. We're going to have another tune here from Spencer and Reigns. Spencer and Reigns, everybody. Shiver the whole 
get out on the highway around this time of year, you're going to see all sorts of people, all sorts of people. They're taking road trips, and they're going for parts unknown. They're, they're hitting the great American interstate system, which is the same system designed by a team of mad scientists. Everybody, everybody in the whole, whole southeastern United States during this season is piling their families into into small minivans and they are attempting to take a great American road trip. The road trip that they take is along the American interstate system and they watch the entire world go by at eye level. It's a it's an exercise in insanity for parents. You have a little minivan, which is just about the size of a padded cell. And you have a family crammed in this cell. In insane asylums, they have cells that are only meant for one person and a straitjacket. And the only difference between that and the minivan is you cram six people into the same size room and you do not get the courtesy of a straitjacket. Thus, you are free to either harm yourself or harm, harm your child who will not stop slapping his sister. Some of the greatest memories I have are taking road trips. You can, you can see a lot. You can learn a lot about the world by just looking out the window. I love road trips. I love the summer smells that you get along the interstate when you pull over at a gas station. You 
trot inside to relieve some of that Coca-Cola you've been sipping on, even though your mother told you not to, and your father's screaming at you because you have to stop every 15 minutes. This is because God, in all his sovereignty, gave you a teacup-sized bladder. I love road trips. I was talking to my friend a few days ago, Carla Ann. Carla Ann took a road trip for spring break with her, with her husband and her two teenage girls. They passed along through the plains of Texas, and they passed through the hills of Oklahoma, and the granary Arkansas, and the Yazoo Delta of Mississippi, and eventually they hit the Yellowhammer State, the Yellowhammer State. Carla Ann hadn't been back to the Yellowhammer State in about 29 years. It's been a long time for her. Long time. Her story isn't a whole lot different than a whole lot of people who grow up in painfully small towns, the kind of towns with, with beauty parlor gossip, the kind of towns where you can walk into a hardware store where old men gather because they don't have a whole lot else to do, and it would be suicide to stay at home and not be working for your wife to see. <laughs> the honey list is always building for these men, and so... So they find solace and feed stores and hardware stores and gas stations. And the whole town just kind of flows along at a leisurely pace. And this is the kind of town a lot of people, young people with smarts and brains and ambition, they end up leaving because, well, there's just not much to do. And you can only stand so much gossip in a beauty parlor. They've been taking this road trip. They've been taking this road trip every every spring break, but this year was the first time they took this road trip to Alabama. Most often they go somewhere like New Mexico or Colorado, somewhere closer to them because they are from California. At least she's from California now to most people who know her. She's been there so long. She tells me she's lost her accent. I can't even hear it when I talk to her on the phone. She thinks like a Westerner. She acts like a Westerner. Westerners are people who have forgotten their manners. (laughs) Westerners are, are good people for the most part. They're good people. And they talk in a way that makes you feel like they have manners. They call everyone bro or dude. But when push comes to shove, they will be walking along a grocery store parking lot. And there could be a granny walking in the same sweltering hot, asphalt-laden grocery store parking lot. And instead of opening the door for granny, they will just walk right on inside, get an air conditioner, leave granny alone to her own devices. Viva la West. The West is just a different place, a place of the mind. It's a different mindset. People have a lot more to defend out in the West because you have a lot more crime, I understand, and you have a lot more, a lot more competing businesses. You have, you have people everywhere, and so 
The very act of waking up in the morning is defense. You're always on your defense. That's what I hear from, from my friends who live in the West. That's what Miss Carlan told me. On their spring break road trip, they did all the things tourists do. They certainly did. You know, there's certain things you have to do when you take a road trip. There's certain things that just need to be checked off the list. And they had a lot to check off their list because she hadn't been south in a lifetime. They visited a 66-foot-tall neon soda bottle way out in Oklahoma. They visited, they visited the Ozarks in Arkansas. They saw the big statue of Christ of the Ozarks. And they saw, they saw a man who raised possums and dressed them in biblical costumes and reenacted the Last Supper, <laughs> charging $10 for admission to see inside a double-wide trailer. They say this was a very, very moving show. Some people felt that this man had changed their life. They saw the birthplace of Walmart in Rogers, Arkansas, and they, they took a kayak ride on the Pascagoula River in Mississippi. They stayed in decent hotels, and they played and splashed in the pools, and they sat in the hot tubs, and they, they enjoyed themselves as a family together. But when she crossed that state line into Alabama, when she crossed that state line, she told her husband to pull the minivan over. And he did. He pulled it over and she kicked open the door and she stepped out onto soil she hadn't touched in a hundred million years. And she walked toward that sign while the car was idling on the shoulder of the highway. And she stood just beneath it and she looked up at the letters, the big white letters, plastered on a green, green sign that said, Sweet Home, Alabama. And she was overcome. The memories, they just hit her like a bunch of gnats. She remembered all sorts of things she She'd intentionally forgotten a long, long time ago. She remembered the creek swing, her daddy and her, hung down by the creek, and how she used to jump off that swing into the shallow water. She remembered the beauty parlor where her mother used to get her hair did. She remembered the gossip that the girls used to used to pass around every week. She hadn't been to a beauty parlor in a long time. She'd been to hairstylists because out west they got lots of hairstylists. The difference between a, a, a beauty parlor and a hairstylist shop is very, very subtle, but it, it is there. There is a difference. In a hairstyling salon, you won't see old women who know how to pronounce words like, like tater salad and Coca-Cola. And Nana Pudding. No, in a beauty salon you'll see women with geometric haircuts that are uneven and look, look strange to the naked eye. In a beauty salon you will see older women with frilly white hair wearing the same hairstyle they've worn since 1952. And they'll be sitting under these space-age bubble helmets. 
Carlyne hadn't been to a to a beauty parlor in a long time. She remembered Friday nights at a football stadium watching her team play. And she remembered loitering outside the gas station where all the middle schoolers used to hang out. And she remembered kissing her first boy. Oh, her first boy, Jonathan Michael. She was very curious about kissing back then. She remembered the painful things that she'd tried to forget. Caroline had a hard life. A hard life, though she never talks about it anymore and she doesn't think about it much either. And while she looked at that state sign, she remembered bearing her two parents as a 14-year-old girl. She remembered the car accident. She remembered the, the telephone call that her, her aunt got late at night. And she remembered the sound of the tears her aunt made when she heard that her that Carlan's parents had passed instantly. But she only felt good things while standing in front of this, this Alabama sign. She only felt good memories. She remembered all sorts of things that she'd made herself forget because you've got to forget certain things in order to survive. She hopped into the car for that spring break trip and they kept on driving. Her husband said, are you okay? She said, yeah, but turn around. He said, turn around. She said, turn around. I want to go see that, that state sign again. And because she is a Californian, she doesn't have to use sugar. When she talks to her husband, she can be as mean and forthcoming as she wants. <laughs> she turned around, and they, they hopped out of that car, and she said, I want my picture in front of this sign. She got out of his smartphone, and she stood in front of that sign, and her eyes got all pink and swollen. And she smiled at that camera, and he took several pictures of her. And then she hopped back in the car, and they drove through Alabama and the lowland cotton fields and, and the, the soy. And she drove past the peanut fields and the barbed wire fences and the cattle, which linger near the two-lane highways. And the golden sun was shining down onto the old faded highway. It had a yellow line running straight through the middle that, that looked like it had been laid during the, the Teddy Roosevelt presidency. And when they got to her place, her home, she felt like she was on hallowed ground. They drove straight through the main street and she saw the drugstore where her father used to go get his Sundays and his Coke floats. She saw the old gas station where the middle schoolers used to loiter, and she saw the high school with its football field looking nice. They pulled over in a cafe. It was an old pink house that had been converted into a restaurant. She remembered this house. She remembered Miss Verna Ann used to live in this house a long, long time ago, and Miss Verna Ann was the most wretched human being God ever created. She used to sit on her porch smoking menthol, Misty Slims, and she used to gripe at the children coming along who would walk the sidewalk, which was on the way to school, and she would yell at them, and she would yell at them using words which were not fit for a decent woman. She would, she would point her cigarette at them and say, stay off the grass, you little, and I'll leave that blank because this is a family show. 
But now it was a restaurant, a bona fide restaurant. They parked their minivan in the gravel parking lot, which had been built on the side of the house, and they all stepped out. And just for old time's sake, Carla Ann jumped on the green grass. It was in front of that place. They walked up the steps, and the old porch looked just like she remembered it, where, where Miss Vernie used to sit, smoking her menthol misty slims. And they walked inside. The waitress said, what we have. Carla Ann just looked at her, and she, 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 she felt like she might recognize her, but she didn't know it's been so long. The woman had lines on the sides of her face and a grayed color of brunette hair. Miss Carline said, I'll have banana pudding. Banana pudding. That's how Westerners say it. <laughs> the waitress took her notepad out and she said, All right, one banana pudding. What about y'all? She said to her family. And Carline's husband looked at the waitress and he said, Ah, well, I will have one banana pudding, too. And the girls got the same thing. It wasn't wasn't time for supper. They just wanted a little bite on the road. And so the waitress brought out, she brought out four banana puddings, set them on the table. (laughs) It was good, real good. They got back in the car, the minivan, they drove through town. they, They saw the old sights. She saw her grandfather's old barn. The one she used to play in when she was just a kid. She saw the place her father grew up and the, the place her mother grew up. And she stepped outside at her mother's farm, an old clapboard house with a tin roof and a porch, which was lopsided. It had been vacant for years, and she stepped onto the field behind that house. It was that field where Carlan's father had popped the question to her mother. And her husband gave her some time. And her girls gave her some time. And she stood in that field for for nearly an hour, just looking at the tree line. And she cried until she didn't have any more tears. And she felt a whole lot like a little girl. She remembered how the town had not known how to deal with a girl who had two parents who had both died instantly. They didn't know how to treat her on the school bus. And as soon as she had gone to California for the very first time in college as a 19-year-old, she went to an art museum and she sat down on a bench and she stared at a famous painting. And she realized to herself, I can make my home here. And when she came back from that trip, she did. She left that town for good. She changed the way she spoke. She found a good life out there, and she learned how to survive. She she had a nice house and a nice husband and two beautiful teenage daughters and a nice minivan. But you can't run from who you are because who you are is a lot deeper It's a lot deeper than just locale. It's a lot deeper than just small towns and main streets with drugstores and sell coke floats. Who you are is in your blood. And she felt that. The trip only lasted about four days. They didn't have a whole lot of time. 
a whole lot of time for spring break. Spring break gets shorter every year, I think. And if you ask me, it's probably a mercy, a mercy which has been granted by the school board system because they know that most parents, when they take spring break, will take their kids in a padded cell-sized minivan to parts unknown, and they'll, they'll go see all the sights. And to drag this out for too long would be detrimental. You might have people come back with injuries and black eyes and, and cold shoulders. And so it's short. It was short. Spring break was real short. But when they got back, it just rolled around in her mind. Her home state, the state of the Yellowhammer, the cotton state, the place place where it all happened and so she applied for a job it's an internet consultant job that's one that's real easy to do it's not a whole lot different than the kind of job she has right now she can do it from anywhere but this company is based in Huntsville Alabama and so it was a wild and crazy idea she posed it to her husband just a few weeks ago she said to her husband, Robert. Robert, I, I've been accepted for a job if I want it. And Robert listened. Born and raised in California, he's the kind of man who will not open a door for an old lady walking through the grocery store parking lot. <laughs> he doesn't mean it, he just won't do it. He said, you've been accepted for a job where? She said, Alabama. Alabama. He came toward her and he put his arm around her shoulder. He said, by God, you tell him you'll take it. And so right now, while I tell you this, while we sit here and we're thinking about that summer heat outside this, this little auditorium, there's, there's a, lot of, a lot of weather changes happening. Right now they are taking another trip from the American West through the American Midwest all the way to the great American South toward the Yellowhammer state of her birth. I saw a picture of her. I saw a picture of her. It was sent to me via email. A picture of her via email. It was beautiful. She looks good. She takes care of herself. Her husband and her our health fanatics, they even were vegan for a little while. I don't know what vegan means, but I assume it has something to do with the planet Vega. <laughs> and she's a grown woman standing in front of a, a state sign. She's got lines around her eyes. She is the kind of woman who has sacrificed a lot for her little family just to make it a good one. It's a good photograph. And she looks a lot like her mother. And she looks a lot like her daddy. And in a few days, which is nothing but a collection of hours, which is nothing but a collection of minutes, she'll be home again. She'll be back. And so will her accent. And I'm excited for her. I'm excited for her.
Hey, thanks for listening to Sean of the South. I've been your host today, Sean Dietrich, and it has been bona fide pleasure if I do say so myself. That music you heard behind me today was Trisha Spencer and Hired Rains. Trisha's a Kansas fiddle who grew up learning the tradition from her grandparents, and Hired Rains is a Texas artist, a fourth-generation fiddler. To find anything more about what they do, you can visit spencerandrands.com. And while you're there, I hope you check out their album, Skeleton Keys. It will knock your socks off and take you back to a bygone era of wagon wheels and old-time settlers who dance around the campfire doing the two-step or the waltz. To find anything more about what I do, you can visit seanofthesouthshow.com. And while you're there, I hope you take the time to drop me a line because I love to hear from my friends. Tell me about your weddings, birthday announcements, your grandparents' birthdays, or your bar mitzvah invitations. And I'll do my best to read them over the air if I get in a wild hair, cotton, and orifice in my body. I shall not mention over the air because I don't talk that way in front of my friends. And speaking of friends, friends, what we fear doing the absolute most is probably what we need to be doing absolute most. Adios.